Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk. This week I am joined by the one and only Mr. Rob Davies of uh, Dead Air Investigations, Paranormal. How does it go? Um, Well, it used to be Dead Air Radio back in the day and then we've kind of got rid of the radio um, and started just focusing on the whole YouTube thing. Um, But we just go by Dead Air now. Before I get into the the meat and potatoes of this episode, I was going to say, I always knew you as dead air radio yeah so back in the day that's how it all started um so it was myself and a good friend from that i met at uni that we did student radio together called chris and we sort of carried it on and we thought how can we put together a show that's you know because we were both really into the paranormal yeah um that kind of thing we'd, we'd been on ghost hunts together before and we came up with this idea we pitched it and at the time, we were working for a radio station in Newcastle uh, called Any1FM. And we did this late night weekly show that was a phone-in show for three weeks of the month. People would ring in, give us their stories, talk about different subjects that we'd put out there. We'd have stories and themes each week. And then on the last um, the last week of the month, we'd go and do a live ghost hunt somewhere. So we'd take our essentially live equipment out um and we'd go and find somewhere haunted each month and that was back in the day where you could just email somebody ring somebody and they would let you into a castle or they'd let you into the haunted manor house or whatever it was now it's 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 changed a lot but um that that lasted until about 2014 and then we sort of took a bit of a hiatus when the show ended and then we came up with the idea of how can we keep it going but more relevant with the times so we went on the video route and YouTube was the was the place everyone was going at the minute and that's what we did. So Dead Air eventually became a YouTube channel and um, Chris had to take a step back from it. He was working on his own radio things on another station at the time. Um, so we keep talking about it and how we're going to change the show and what we're going to do in the future. But I've kept it going for the last three or four years as a, a video only uh, platform for the for the ghost hunts. Yeah, I, I think I've uh, I've subscribed to your channel. I think ever since you just had a few videos on there, and it, I kind of watched yeah. it grow from there. But I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a little while. But first of all, I want to find out how you got involved in the paranormal because I always ask this question to everyone that I have on uh, an episode. I, I'm I'm always interested to find out what was the you know, little kid, you know, maybe sort of getting into sort of TV shows. How, what happened? How did, how did you fall into it? I've always had a bit of a curiosity for things like mysteries, um, things like that. There was always shows on in the 1990s. So I think uh, we had, um, what was it called? The Michael Aspel show. Back Strange in the but true. Yeah. Strange but true. Brilliant. Yeah, there was shows like that used to be on. Um, there was a kid's show as well with uh, Neil Buchanan. Uh, called It's a Mystery. It was always about things like the Bermuda Triangle yeah. or the pyramids or things like that, and ghosts. And it was always just strange things and strange stories. And as a kid, I was always curious about stuff like that. Like you get told, this is what happens. This is how life works. This is how science works. But then you're also hearing all these stories about strange things that science can't explain. And it's, you get curious and you look more into it. And I remember as a child, my dad used to, record things off the telly um you know documentaries on things so for example the bermuda triangle it's a famous mysterious yeah. case and he'd show me all these things or things about the loch ness monster 
And I used to love watching them because it was just strange. It was things that we can't explain. And I think that just made me curious to to go into that kind of thing. And then obviously now I'm more into the more spiritual, ghostly side of things. But I think it was just that sort of curiosity of what else is out there that we can't explain. It just had my mind going a little bit. Yeah, I know what you mean there. When you're younger, you kind of watch the TV shows. Maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit older, but I always remember... The TV shows like um, you would go back and you'd have like Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World and uh, yeah. the Unexplained magazine, and and you would read through them and you think, I want to be a, I want to be an investigator, I want to be a ghost hunter, I want to go to these places. Yeah. And of course, with your mates, you would go, you know, your mate would come and say, oh, you know that house up there, this old lady died in there, she haunts it, and you think, oh, and you get a group of you together and you think, yeah, I'm going to go up there one Saturday evening, we're going to go up there. And you yeah. sort of get as far as the front door and then you all run away because somebody saw a demon in the window or something. But, um, yes, yeah. And that kind of sort of spurs you on a little bit. So my, my uh, continuing uh, along that theme, uh, what I was going to say was, um, did you ever sort of experience anything? I, I know it's difficult being a little, little kid and, you know, the world's a little bit of a weird place. But did you think, that looking back, did you sort of experience anything a bit weird when you were younger? Yes, uh, there's quite a few stories, um, not ones I can recall myself, um, but stories of, that around me as a as a baby more, um, probably three or four of them. So, for example, um, as a, a very young a very young baby, my mother would bring me downstairs during the night if I was awake, if I was uh, needed feeding or whatever, and she said that she would often come down into the living room, and um, while I was down there. She would often get the scent of my great grandmother, which would be her grandmother. And she said she had a very distinct perfume kind of scent. And she would always recognize it. It wasn't something you could just mistake as being flowers in the room or something like that. It was just a strong smell would just yeah. fill the room. And she knew there was, you know, she knew she was there. Um, nothing nasty, nothing sinister. It was kind of family coming back, uh, maybe to see the new family, because I was a new addition to the family. Yeah. Um, so I always used to get told about that story. Um, when I was really younger as well, we went on a holiday to France. So again, I was a baby. Um, and my mother was saying to me inside, it was like an old farm cottage that we stayed in. So I've got no idea of the history of it or anything about it. Um, so on a nighttime, on a summer's night, my parents would sit outside. My sister was a bit older, so she would be with them as well. Um, and they would just sit and, you know, nice summer's night, sit and talk in the in the garden, have something to eat. Um, and I was a baby, so I, I was put to bed. And my mother, came, my mother came inside one time and um, she was saying to me, she said the, the whole room just didn't feel right. And she said she felt an ice cold hand on the back. back of me. Um, and she she had to literally take me out. And from that point on, she never left me in the in that house alone again and um, she wouldn't do it she was so adamant there was something in there um and these are things that I'm, i get told later on when i'm a bit older so i've i've grown up hearing these stories so that's always played a little bit in in my mind as well that things have been happening around me um as a baby and then when i got to the age of three um so it was like early 90s yeah um my granddad died back in 91 and it was about a week, a week later, my mother was coming up the stairs and she heard me talking in my bedroom and popped her head in the door and said, 
who are you talking to? And I said, oh, just talking to granddad. Um, he's got a stone in his hand, just having a chat with me. Back then, when I was little, my granddad used to take me out in my push chair or when I was a toddler. Um, we used to go for little walks in the daytime and we used to collect stones. So we'd go out and I used to find the best stone and I used to bring them back to the house when I was just you know, really little. That was about a week after he died. And I've got absolutely no recollection of this, but I've been told it as I've got a little bit older. And it's one of those things where I would love to be able to go back. Yeah. Um, if there's any way you can, I know they often talk about regression. You can go back and retrieve those memories. And it's one of those things I always think about. If I could go back and I was able to go and remember things from when I was younger, I would love to know if I, I really genuinely was having a, a conversation with with him or whether, I, I don't know, whether children at that age can start making things up like that. But it was it would have been an unusual thing for a three-year-old to pretend um, that the granddad was in the room. He never came to the house. So I always used to go to their house during the daytime. So it was it was quite unusual to say that he'd been there, he'd been present in the room, and especially a, a week after after he died, it was almost as if he was, if, if it was true, it was almost as if he was coming back just to see you like a, a, one last time, and he was able to say goodbye. I don't know, um, but I'm I'm curious to know if there was anything behind it, or whether I was just you know might have just been a toddler, um, gibbering on. But it's one of those things I've always been curious about, and. Other than that, there hasn't really been any anything in my childhood that I can say that I've seen anything. I never had invisible friends, anything like that. I never used to see anything other than that one one instance. I mentioned this on an episode, a uh, previous episode that I recorded, and uh, we were talking about uh, invisible people, invisible friends, and, yeah. and being younger and being children, seeing things that we possibly don't see now. And... Uh, I had a friend who had an invisible friend and everywhere we went, his invisible friend went with us and he would have conversations with him. And I, I didn't see no into I didn't have any, you know, I had no e experience of this invisible friend. Uh, and he used to get quite angry that I couldn't see or he'd say he's talking to you. And I'm like, well, who, what? I, there's no one there, you know? And he would yeah. get quite angry that I couldn't see uh, what he was seeing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible that uh, there's something to that because it's not. You know, there's a lot of children out there that uh, that do experience stuff. And uh, when I experienced stuff when I was younger, and uh, as you just said, it would be cool to. Uh, it's that kind of fine line where you think, do I go to a, a hypnotist and get some form of regression, and what what door does that open? Yeah, yeah. It's something I'd, I'd be curious about doing because I've never even thought about going down that route. But yeah, that would be the only memory that I could really think of. I've always had it in my mind. Did I, did that really happen? And I've tried to think and concentrate. Did I really have a conversation with with my granddad after his after his death? And yeah. I, I I wish I could remember it just to know what where was he in the room? Was he standing there? Was I able to see him in the room? And I'm just, yeah, it's one of those things I've always been really fascinated about. Was he there? Um, why was he there? And why was I the only person who could see him? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, there's uh, lots of people out there that see things and experience things after a family member has passed away. And you think to yourself, well, why are they experiencing stuff? Why don't, you know, why are I getting yeah. something? But uh, maybe there's something to that. 
So as you got a bit older, maybe sort of, you know, in your teenage years, uh, was it all about parties and getting drunk or did you still have an interest to, with the uh, unknown and the paranormal? Um, yeah, yeah, there were some parties, but there was still the interest. Um, so my first proper event that I went on, um, I was probably shouldn't have been allowed to because I think you had to be 18 to go yeah. on them. But it was a birthday. I think it was either the 16th or my 17th birthday. Um, it was a Friday afternoon, came in from school and my sister had bought presents uh it was a ticket for a ghost tour at chillingham castle and the chillingham oh, cool. is my local local castle everyone's got their own big haunted location nearby chillingham's mine and i'd seen it on television i'd we used to get a a, a radio show up here called alan robson's night owls um which was a phone-in show but on halloween he would always go up to chillingham castle or he'd send somebody to chillingham castle so i always used to hear these stories about this this castle and things that happened there and some of the dark stuff that happened there. And it, it always seemed to be very, very active. So it was a night in January. So it was really dark outside about seven o'clock, really, really dark at that time. And I just remember my sister took me up. She'd only just learned to drive herself. So if you've ever seen Chillingham Castle, it's in the middle of absolute nowhere. Yes. So it's, I mean, you can't even make phone calls up there. It's, a, it's just miles away from anywhere. And we parked up outside the gates. It was all, locked up because it's closed over the winter apart from when they have ghost hunts and things on and i just remember seeing this castle in absolute darkness and just looking i think it's exactly how it looked on tv how he how he imagined it in my yeah. head it, it was like it's a sight and then you've got the torches lit up with the flames on the the castle entrance and when you're that age you've never done anything like this before so in the back of your mind, you're convinced oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully I'll see a ghost tonight. And you're so excited about it. And it didn't disappoint. It was a, we did the tour. It was just a tour. It wasn't a proper yeah. investigation, but obviously I'd lied and said I was 18 and I was able to go on it. And we were up in the chapel and they had, it's not there now, but they used to have this sort of tapestry cloth going over one of the doorways that led down some steps into a place called the Minstrel's Gallery. Uh-huh. and um, so there's six or seven people in this room on, on a tour and the tour guides telling the story about a, a little girl called Eleanor that's said to haunt that that particular room. And everybody saw it. The the tap it was like a big it was the big box. We could see someone pushing their hand through it. And it wasn't like a people would say, Oh, it was just a draft blowing up from behind. But a draft would cause the whole thing to flutter. But we could yeah. see definitely the, the imprint of a hand coming through the front as if someone was pushing it and we were stood around watching it for at least 30 seconds and then the tour guides pulled it away and there was absolutely nobody there we went down and looked around there was nobody else in the building we were the only people in on the ghost tour and people have said well it's probably just you know he's got maybe a it's a trick curtain he's yeah. got a little lever he can pull or something like that and you know but everyone was stood around watching it and taking pictures of it i wish i had a video camera at the time but that was the first ever time I'd been to a supposedly haunted location. And to have that on your first first one, it's set the bar high. So oh, every yeah. time you go back there, you think you're going to get it again. And obviously you have those disappointing nights. But it, yeah, I think that probably even sparked it even more that from that point on, I was definitely going to, going to be into this. Yeah, I, um, I've got a, a particular 
uh, thing about castles and manor houses. When I was at school, that you know, I would always want to go on the trips to a castle or a, an old sort of manor house because I always believed that, you know, maybe I'll see a ghost, maybe I'll see something. Um, and yeah, a few times I went to places and I felt a bit strange or I felt like I was being followed or watched or uh, we'd pair off and go off up, or, or, you know, if we could walk around sort of the more secluded areas. And one of the great things about being with a school trip is that you get to go to parts of the castle uh, that, that the public don't normally get to go to. Um, and one of the places I went to, I can't remember, I think it was Dover Castle. I, I, one of those, can't, you know, it's, still, it's still all together. And um, we went to the kitchens, which sounds a bit boring. Uh, but these kitchens were massive and all the stone was all kind of worn and you could tell that there'd been like, you know, many, many meals cooked on the fire. Uh, but it was just a, a, a completely weird place, you know, and it was just a complete weird feeling. And I think that, you know, we I did um, social and economic history and, and studied the Industrial Revolution for part of my exams when I was at school. And it seems really boring, but the reason I did it was because it gave me the opportunity to go around all of the old, um, sounds a bit morbid, but gave me the opportunity to go around all of the old workhouses in, uh, in England. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, you know, that's, you know, and some of them are, some of them obviously now are museums and they're, they're put, you know, put back to what they uh, used to be. Horrible, I mean, I feel sorry for the people that had to go into those places because uh, quite, quite a very, very tough life. You know, they weren't, they weren't no holiday. It was they were made like that to make you want to get out. Uh, so yeah, um, but just going there and and it's just a feel. So what I was going to ask you was, so you got a bit older and uh, you sort of still got this thing about the paranormal and you want to sort of move on to the next level. When did you actually think, you know what, I'm going to organise an investigation and go and do my own sort of proper ghost hunt? When did when did that happen? That was not until uh, I was I just finished university at the time. Um, so I did journalism and obviously got involved in student radio, but I was more on the musical side of things. And then um, one year below me at uni was uh, Chris Felton, who's, uh, you know, we, we were good friends at uni. We did the radio show together. And um, at the time he was working at a, a radio station in Newcastle uh, called Metro. And he was working as a producer for for Alan Robson, who I'd grown up listening to, and I'd heard him doing all these ghost hunts and, and things on the radio. And we got talking about it, and he said, well, there's definitely a market for um, for doing this, like, regularly. Obviously, he does it at Halloween, and it draws big, big, yeah. big, big listeners in. We said, what if we did this, you know, on a, a weekly basis? We were doing the paranormal. This was just as most haunted had, had blown up onto the scene, and everybody was getting into ghost hunting back then. So we, we put it together and we, we pitched the idea. And then we thought, well, this could get us access into places. So from a, our own personal um, interest, we were doing something that we loved. And that was really when it took off. So it went about 2009 was when it, we really started doing ghost hunts. I hadn't done any proper ghost hunting before that in, since obviously the, the the event I'd mentioned about Chillingham. Yeah. So that was where it really started. So we we started teaming up with a guy who um, had his own paranormal investigation team. He was lending us bits of equipment. He also had a few uh, contacts. So he was getting us into places very easily. Uh, one of those being the castle keep in, in the center of Newcastle. Um, 
so he was getting access into those. We were sort of getting into that, doing the show and sort of learning how to ghost it. Yeah. We had to learn it as we went along. So back in the day, we were very old school. We were very much sit in a dark room, calling out. Yeah. There was no, no not many gadgets around at the no. time. That was how we did it. Our eyes and ears were kind of our um, te- technology, really. So, um, and we did used to capture like, the faint things, EVPs and stuff, but it was always just through the microphones we'd be doing, doing the radio show. Which yeah. It wasn't, you know, the, the EVP mics that people use these days, but we were very old school. And back then we, we did some incredible locations that you can't even get access to now. Um, sadly, a lot of places have had bad experiences with goat hunters that they've, they've just stopped it altogether. And, but that was when it was kind of new. So we were getting into it while it was, it was becoming the up thing. So a lot of places we would, you know, they used to get excited about the fact that, oh, we've got some ghost hunters coming in tonight. So um, that would be their, their first time they'd had ghost hunters coming into their, their business. So that was, that was quite fun um, doing that for, for a number of years. And we, we got some good stuff. Like I say, we, we got places that, you know, are boarded up and derelict now that you can't get access to and, Nobody will probably ever do a ghost hunt in, but we got in there. One of those being, um, there's a building called the Cooperage in in Newcastle on right. the Eastside. Very old, historic, listed building, but it got taken over by a new owner. Eventually, it just they, they couldn't open it again. The the amount of money to keep this old building going was just too much. That they just it's derelict. It's it's boarded up, and nobody's been in for over a decade. But it's got some absolutely incredible ghost stories it's meant to be the most haunted building in newcastle old uh, even more so than the castle um staff that we, we traced down staff that used to work there some of the stories thing that we're talking full apparitions it used to be a house it's been a, an old cooperage building itself all sorts of gory stories things legends linked to the building and to get access to that you would think now it would be a, a huge thing but yeah we, we did it back in the day and it's sad to think that we, we won't know but but yeah that was where it really started learning how to do it the radio show we weren't going in there as experts at the time we had steve who was our our guide essentially he was showing us how to ghost hunt we were kind of presenting it and um he was kind of like the expert on the paranormal and he was saying well this is what we do this is how you would use the dowsing rods this is how you would you would do this experiment or whatever so we were kind of learning it as we went along and then gradually as the years went by we sort of got to know it a little bit better and 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 it went from there really so you kind of you know you know you kind of learnt your craft you you got your kind of uh your skill set together shall we say and uh you've you've kind of moved on now to with the, the dead air youtube channel uh now i've i must say i've i think i've watched nearly every one of your uh investigations uh what i like about them is they're very uh I think they're very sort of uh, independent because you're kind of like a, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of like solo now. You do your your own thing. Um, some of the places that you do get into, um, there was one that you did. It was a, I think it was a, a disused club, like a working men's club or something like that, or a nightclub or something like that. And you had some stuff going on in there, like noises and things moving, which was a bit unsettling uh how do you find these places are you because they're not they're, they're not really on what i would call the ghost hunting map uh the, you know, i've never heard yeah. of some of these places 
Um, I'm trying to think which one you. Um, it might have been Jimmy Allen's club. Yeah, it was a. Um, uh, it was like a club. Like, yeah, closed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that that one I think it was a. I've seen it in books. Um, so I've got a lot of books in the house. Um, you know, all the haunted places around. And I used to collect a lot of the stories, possibly from doing the radio show. We've got file upon file of of places that we we've been to, and every week we used to sort of do a story on a different town, for example. And we just go through some of the haunted places in that town to the haunted buildings. So I suppose it's just a, a database of, of places. But um, in terms of the Jimmy Allen's one, um, that's in, in Durham. That's a, a well-known haunted haunted place that a lot of a lot of the locals will know about. But yeah. maybe it hasn't been on television. Maybe it hasn't been exposed beyond Durham. So that's another thing I like to do is obviously from a local point of view is get the old stories, things I grew up hearing about, and then incorporating those into into the investigation as well. So, for example, when I did Chillingham, yeah, obviously it's been done by every TV show. Everyone's been up there. It's one of the most famous haunted venues in the country. And yeah, I used to hear the story about the lake at the back of the castle. Um, the Scots used to apparently roll children down there in barrels that had spikes in them and it was just this bodies underneath the lake. It's obviously all legends. I don't know how much of it can be historically um, historically backed up, but it's hearing those legends and then finding out all these TV shows go there, but they never mention it. So I'd obviously try and incorporate that into my video and maybe add something. Well, I'm a local, so I've heard this story, you know, but when the TV companies come here, they'll do, they'll film a TV show. They just focus on the main stories of the castle. But yeah, I love to, to dive into the, the more local stuff and hear the things that I heard about when I was younger, but maybe are more legends um, and doing it that way. But in terms of finding venues, um, you hear, I mean, I hear a lot on social media. I'm part of a Facebook group called Ghosts of the Northeast. So people will post stuff in there all the time, several thousand members. So if there's something up there that comes up, then... I'll try and get in touch with the the management or the owners of the place and see if they would let me in. But going about it that way, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you got access to or you investigated the old Alistair Crowley building. Yes. Uh, yeah. And um, you had some weird stuff going in there, didn't you? It was. Uh, uh, well, well, tell us what it what happened. That was probably one of the weirdest places I've ever been. And it's probably the one if someone said, for example, I, I'm not a great, I was never a great believer in using some of the ITC apps that people yeah. use. But yet in there, I was getting full phrases coming through. It, it made me question a lot about whether these things can actually pick things up or whether it's still just purely coincidental. But that place, um, I got permission to go up there. Um, the foundation who are currently restoring the building. Yeah. Um, let's just say they're, they're very much in need of money. So any type of donations that come their way, they will accept it. So that sort of helped me get in there as, a little bit as well. Um, so I, I sort of spent a few weeks dropping emails backwards and forwards. And eventually they said, you, you know, this could happen. Obviously, there were conditions about it. Had to wear hard hats, had to wear high-vis jackets. Um, but from a health and safety point of view, they were happy to, to do it. Um, and so I went up there 
earlier in the day just to do some filming of the, yeah. the place in daylight and stuff was happening then. So I, t- I took a drone along and there was one shot I was trying to get. I really wanted to get it of the sort of the drone going up and then you would see the house. Yeah. And then you would see the graveyard behind it. Ah, and then okay, yeah. Loch Ness. So it was kind of like a reveal drone shot. And I I planned it on Google Earth. I was going to fly it from this spot. I'd asked them, am I allowed to fly the drone? Totally fine with it. And it was a you know all set up and the drone was there. As soon as I started to take it off, it got to about face height, head height, and then um, compass error. And it was trying to say that there was magnetic interference with the actual um, the compass in, on the drone itself. And the drone was trying to force itself to land. It wouldn't go near the house. Again, is that paranormal or was that some sort of technical thing that mm. I'm putting down to being paranormal? But it was it was weird. Um, other people, I've seen people flying their drones over the house. So it, it can be done. There is about half a mile away, there is a, an energy, like a power, not not a power station, but more of like a, a sort of thing where all the power lines go into. Okay, yeah. Uh, was yeah. that interfering? But according to my drone maps and the it shouldn't have interfered with it. So there was that. In the nighttime, um, a couple of times I thought I heard somebody moving around inside the, the building. Because at the time, I don't know what it, what state the building's in now, but last year it was, you know, scaffolding was up and there was no solid floor yeah. down. So you're walking over rubble. So if there was footsteps, it couldn't be possibly in, in the building because you'd hear bits of stones and things crunching. And then later on, it was only when I look back at the footage, you see a bit of a, because there's like a metal scaffolding pool and something dark goes past it. And again, that was through an, a night vision camera. So it couldn't have been like a light from outside because you're using infrared light. So that, it's, that as well, well, if I'd seen that, I probably wouldn't have stuck around in the building. But I was lucky I didn't notice that until afterwards when I was when I was editing the whole the whole footage. And then things like the wind suddenly picked up and the whole building started to, it was a, it was a calm day. It was, um, you know, June or July last year when I went up and then all of a sudden, as soon as you start doing the investigation, you just hear the wind blowing through all the, the top hole in on the, the scaffolding. It was, again, it could be down to the weather, but it was just very, very unusual that it just started to happen as I'd started. Um, and then the burial ground at the bottom. I'm 99% sure that I heard someone following on the, because you've got to walk along the main, it's like a, a country lane to get yeah. to it. And it sounded like there was somebody, whether it was an animal or something, there was a noise behind me as if it had walked behind me from the house down to the graveyard. Caught things on camera in there, like white mists. But I was taking the photos at the same time that I was videoing it. So you could see that there was no bugs flying past the camera lens because I was taking the picture on a separate camera and you could see the flash. There was no bugs going past. Yeah, I was getting like a white streak going across the, the photo. Um, and then at the end, it was only when I got back to the hotel in Inverness, which was 45 minute drive away. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I was tired. I just wanted to go to bed. I took my shoes and socks off and I noticed that my sock was stuck to my foot i thought it's it's the type of thing you know when you've you've got 
bad heel. It's been bleeding. Yeah. And it sort of it sort of sticks to your foot, and it's it's not pleasant. But it was on the top, so it was just sort of behind my toes, and it was three kind of. It looks like a claw print, like a three, um, three claws in a sort of print, like a, a triangular shape. And the shoes I'd been wearing, they'd been fine. I'd, I'd had them for months. I'd been out. I had made a made a bit of a holiday at the trip up there, so I'd been around Loch Ness that day and yeah. around Internet. Um, absolutely no discomfort at all. And it's on the top, so it shouldn't be rubbing because it's on the top of your foot. Mm. Normally it's around by the, the heels where you, you get the problem. Um, and yeah, I had a an EVP from the one of the apps that came that said, your foot, my foot. And I thought about it for a while. I put the two together and I thought, is it talking about, you know, something about my foot? Is it trying to say something? I don't know. Again, I'm not 100% convinced on apps, but I use them to see if anything can come through from an experimental point of view. And the whole thing about, I showed a few people on online this picture of the foot. I said, look, can anyone explain this? And straight away, you've got people talking about the, the Holy Trinity, the yeah. three being the, the mark of the, you know, the, the get scratches coming threes. Um, and as well, there's been a lot of people have seen a black dog on the, the land as well, especially around the house. Uh, I think a lot of the volunteers have seen it. A lot of people who've been working on the project have, have seen it out the corner of the eye. They see a black dog moving across the grass. You think, is it an animal that's done that? Mm. Um, and it, it was strange. I mean, the, the, again, it's one of those where, yeah, there are explanations for it, you know, had I done it earlier on and not noticed it was on my foot because it, it, it wasn't painful, but it definitely was a, a very strange, the whole day, the whole night when I was up there, that place is, there's something about it, certainly more so than any other haunted building I've been to. You just feel it when, you, when you're when there. I mean, I'm not someone who believes in, I could just walk into a room and feel the atmosphere, but there was something about that building that wasn't right. This, the history of the building, the you know the fact that you know since Alistair Crowley left, people have been plagued by stuff. There's been a suicide in there. Yeah, There's Jimmy Page. Something. Yeah, he had it. Yeah, he had weird he had stuff the, go on. Yeah, the caretaker had weird stuff as well. He used to hear growling sounds outside the, the bedroom door. If I ever get the chance to go back up there, if there was any one place I could go back and and redo it, maybe when it's finished, when they've, they've finished the building works. I would love to go back up there and and try and get more because there's definitely something about that place. I didn't feel it was trying to hurt me or in an evil way, but there was something about it. I think if it wanted to hurt you, it would have hurt you. But yeah, there was something, whether it was dark or not, I don't know. Yeah, the the, the locals uh, when they when this charity moved in and wanted to rebuild the building. Bolskine House. This is in Scotland, on the on the shores of a, of a lock. But um, the the house was destroyed by fire, so the whole roof had collapsed in on itself, and it was literally just, as you say, four walls. the The home is like all on one level, and it's massive. Uh, but um, there's still, I think, there's still some basements you can go down, isn't it, under lower yeah, levels? Yeah. But but the thing is that. Um, when this, you know, the, they were going to do it back up, the locals were kind of, they set a petition up. They wanted the place, they wanted it knocked to the ground. They wanted it got rid of completely. So it will be oh, interesting. Yeah. 
that when it's back up and running, uh, what what's it going to be? Uh, is it going to be one of these places that you can visit, or is it going to be an Airbnb? Who knows? A lot of these places now yeah. are now Airbnbs. You can go into old castles and manor houses, and you can rent a room there for a weekend. So you know, great. But as you say, you mentioned it earlier with a lot of these places that you could, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you could get into uh, and, you know, with a with a, a nice little donation, you could stay the night. But now you've got to spend, you know, five, six hundred pound to uh, to get there for a weekend. And uh, once you say what, what you, you know, or oh, I'm a ghost hunter. No, 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 no. I don't want none of that. Don't want yeah. none of that. Yeah. So it. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs. I understand. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand if you've got a building that's got history, and you think to yourself, "Oh, this, I could make a business out of this. This could be my this could be my income. Go for it. Do it." But you know, but be realistic. You know, uh, and there are people out there that uh, go on uh, investigations and think, you know, it's an excuse for a party. It's an excuse to get drunk yeah. and and go go nutty and. Yeah, that's why some people are a bit reluctant. You know, what was yeah, your what was your favorite? What was your favorite investigation? I would probably say that um, the Alistair Crowley House. It's just because of the effort it took to get into it. It was kind of a it felt like a, a rewarding thing when yeah. they finally agreed to it. Yeah, um, I quite enjoyed filming down in in Derby. I did Derby Jail um, a few weeks before that. Working with Richard Felix, he's a really great guy. He knows his history, and yeah. I think we both think we're both in the same interest. So he would just sit and talk about executions for two hours, and I think by the time we looked at our watches, it was like, oh, we've, we we would just go on a tangent and start talking about all sorts of dark history. And he's got he's, a little jail, of, hasn't he? He's got he's got like a little jail. Uh, yeah, uh, it's Dar- Derby go, Jail. Derby Jail, yeah. yeah, and it's got like the original. Uh, the original doors and all that in the and the cells and stuff, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, that's definitely a lot. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of history there because it used to be um, uh, it used to be a pub or a or a club or something after it was a jail or something, but uh, oh yeah, it's um, yeah, the, the it's been a few things like the the building next door has the other jail cells in, but the, that's a solicitor's office, so the office is kind of built around the old jail cells, but. He was right. It, it became a nightclub, and they they'd applied for a license to make it a. I think he talk, said it was going to become like a strip club or some sort of some sort of after hours club like yeah. that. Um, and he was like, "No way is that going to happen to something that used to be an old jail." So he spent ages, and he found one of the old doors. Yeah, um, it was in a skip somewhere, and he knew about it, and he was trying to get hold of this door for. He knew it was still in exist in existence because it had. Um, a guy called William Buxton had carved his name. Yeah, into it. that's so right. He was yeah, where of this, this this door was around, and obviously he was a very notorious highwayman. He said, like, "I've got to get hold of this door," and he spent years of his life tracking it down, and he found it in a skip, and he managed to get it and, and bring it back to Derby Jail, and that's where it is now. That's mad. That's mad. I I I, I have spoken to uh, Richard uh, about getting him on an episode uh, of Paratalk, and uh, you know picking his brains about his, his place, but he's just, he's a bit of a busy man and uh, I'm sure I'll uh, yeah. get him on at some point, but uh, it's just a question of getting some sort of date sorted out and to, uh, you know, to get him on. Uh, so moving a little bit on uh, from, uh, you know, haunted places and your favorite places. What I was um, going to um, ask you, when you, 
do an investigation. Um, and uh, well, this is kind of my thought process, but I'm, I'm interested to hear yours. Whenever you do experience anything, do you, do you agree that um, when you do look at evidence, it's always good to look at it with a, a you know, you're a bit of a sceptical hat on and look at it to, to the point of view where it's not always grandma. It's not always uh, what you think it might be. It might be just, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of wind or it might just be uh, something uh, like a shadow that you think is something moving from the corner of your eye. Do you think it's good to have a, a, a good dose of scepticism when you when you go on these kind of investigations? Absolutely. I think that's why it's called paranormal investigating, because your job isn't just to go and capture a ghost. Your job is to investigate why people are claiming to have these experiences in a building. So that could be anything from well, why are people getting cold spots in this room? Is it because there's a there's a crack in the window that cold air is coming in? In which case you would use a thermal camera, you'd go and find it. And oh, that's why that would explain that. Are people seeing dark shadows walking down a hallway? But then when you're on the investigation, you start to see um, car headlights, for example, going past and you see that yeah. the shadows going past. You think, well, that could explain why people are experiencing those kind of um, you know, apparitions in the, from the corner of the eye. It's actually just a shadow going past from the car. Um if you do capture anything on camera or on audio, you, the first thing you've got to do is to try and rule out as many um, explanations for that. So that could be, well, could it be if you've got a, a microphone, have you got a little bit of a fumble on the microphone? Sometimes that can yeah. sound like a, a whispery voice, but it's actually just yourself. Um, the way you're holding the microphone, if you catch an orb, you've got to then say, well, could it be dust? A lot of people will say it is dust if it sort of goes in different directions could it be a, a bug or an insect or something like that you've kind of got to rule out every single possibility and if, if it's something like an object falling over well was it positioned in a, a place where it was finely balanced that it could easily topple over with a, a little bit of move with a bit of vibration um there's all of those kind of things that you've got to you've got to rule it out and i think from a personal point of view it's not about putting evidence out there in a video and saying, this is what I captured. Are you impressed with it? It's kind of from my own point of view. I want to find out myself if a building is haunted. I want to capture that paranormal evidence myself for my own personal satisfaction that I've done it. I've caught it on camera. So from my point of view, I want to rule out as many possibilities as, as it could be. And only when I can think, well, I cannot explain that and nobody I've shown it to can explain it. So then you've got to start thinking about it it being paranormal. Obviously, if you capture an apparition full on, yeah, there's not very many things that can debunk that. But realistically, those those kind of things don't happen a lot. Um, certainly for investigators, we go in and it's very rare that we will see anything like that. So you're talking about what I would call like class B, class C evidence, where it's kind of was it caused by a ghost? Obviously, you haven't seen a ghost, but was it caused by some kind of entity? Um, so I think you've got to rule out as many things as possible. And I think that's how you would do it professionally if you want to be taken seriously. Whereas if you hear a floorboard creak and straight away you're, you're saying that's that's a, a man or it's some some spirit following you around, you, you know, there'll be other people watching that will say, well, how do we know that that's not somebody somebody else in the building or that's yeah. caused by, yeah, true. by a draft or something. I think 
um, as a paranormal investigator, you've got to be seen as being credible. If people don't see you as being credible, then straight away you've, you know, are they going to believe the next piece of evidence that you, you show or the next investigation you go on? People will say, well, yeah, he just thinks the the draft is a is a ghost or something. And you've got to be seen to be trying to rule out anything and, and to, to try and say, well, if there is a slight doubt that actually it wasn't paranormal, it was caused by that, you've kind of got to mention that actually was it really caused by that? There's a possible, usually when I do it, I will replay it a few times so you can see it and watch it back a couple of times and say, well, from my own personal point of view, there was no bugs flying around. There was no drafts. There was nothing. Um, or I could say, well, you know, it is possible it could have been caused by this. You've got to kind of leave the options there. Even if you don't know yourself, you've got to have the options there so that other people can make their own minds up rather than just believing the one perspective that you put out there. Hmm. So as we are rapidly uh, coming to the end of this episode, I still have a few questions I need to squeeze in. And uh, okay. my, as you are a YouTube creator and you, you know, you put your investigations out there for anybody to see, anybody to watch and anybody to comment on. Um, how do you feel about um, how the TV style uh, ghost shows? I'm not going to, I'm not going to name any names. I'm just going to say TV ghost shows. Uh, anyone can figure what out, figure that out for themselves. But how do you feel that have they added to it i know that they've made people more aware of it in the last sort of 20 years but have you found that um have you found that it is sometimes it's a good thing or a bad thing what's what's your thoughts on it i think a lot of the tv shows have increased the popularity i don't think we'd be even having this conversation and i wouldn't even be involved in this right now if it wasn't for the fact that you've you've got the the likes of the, the big famous TV shows that inspired an entire new generation yeah. of ghost hunting. At the same time, I think they do create a false expectation of what people will get. So myself, I work with an events team. So I'm I help out with running events at paranormal uh, haunted locations. And a lot of the time we have to tell people that, you know, we are going to have EVP recorders. You're not going to hear voices on them. Every time you press record, like what some TV shows will, will yeah. show, we are going to use this bit of equipment. It's not going to keep going off every two minutes. You know, you can you can spend five or six hours on a, an investigation and absolutely nothing will happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of TV shows will show it compressed into a 30-minute piece of investigation. And I think it does. I'm not saying that the shows are fake and anything and anything's manipulated. But no. I think when you as well, even if they do capture good stuff, you're condensing an entire night, several hours into um, a much tighter package edited for TV. So it looks like more is happening anyway. So a lot of people will turn up and expect to they'll walk into a haunted place and everything's just going to be happening for them. They're going to use their little MP3 recorder and they're going to hear EVPs all the time. To be honest, it, it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen. So maybe... Uh, from a point of view, it's good that people get interested in it, but people, it, I don't think it gives them the realistic expectation of what is really going to happen on a on a on a night. Yeah, EVP. I got into EVP. It must have been fifteen, twenty years ago. Uh, got into it real proper, and I got my first what I call proper voice, Class A, 
uh, well, two voices actually, uh, after about three months of pretty much recording most nights. Um, and I, I was getting other things, but you know, it was just garble, you know, it's not just noise. I, I was just maybe hearing stuff, but uh, it was about three months before I actually got what I believe, you know, it sounded like voices that were stood in the room with me. Um, and that scared me enough to, for the next couple of months, I didn't go back to doing it. I just, you know, it was a bit of a wake up call to think, yeah, you can capture stuff, uh, if you, uh, if you try for long enough, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, the paranormal doesn't happen to command. It's, uh, 99% of the time you go to a location and uh, the most exciting thing you'll do all night is eat your Marmite sandwiches and drink your Coca-Cola because nothing else will happen. Yeah. Um, but I was going to ask you, um, final question, and it's the best question, I think, and I always ask everyone, what do you think a ghost is? Is it grandma or is it is it something more? Is everything that, you know, is it everything grandma and granddad or is there something else going on? I think one of the problems I've got with with the definition is there's so many different types. So you've got yeah. um, memories of spirits that are replaying itself, intelligent spirits, which seem to be constantly present, poltergeists. Um, there's so many different types of, of ghosts. Are they all the same thing? Are, are they all a, a deceased person? Um, I don't know. Um, it's a tricky one. I do think there's things that science can't explain yet maybe one day and i would like to think it'll happen sometime in my life yeah so they'll be able to discover something or they'll work out something that will explain a good chunk of the paranormal phenomena that we're, we're experiencing whether it's a dead person i'd like to think it is i think a lot of it is wishful thinking a lot of people do like the idea that you know when you die it's not the end or the people that we do know and love that have died are still around you hear stories a lot that make you think, well, that's just unbelievable. And then other times, you, other days, you think, well, it can't possibly be a ghost. And you, you're a little bit more skeptical. But then, again, as soon as I think back to like stories that I was told when I was a baby and the smell that would come into the room and, and things like that, you think, well, maybe it is. Maybe there is something that's that's on the other side. Um, I'm on the fence on it. I do believe there's something there whether it's intelligent or whether it's something that's maybe more like energy but isn't conscious i'm not sure it's it does bug me because i'd love to know and i'd love to find out in my lifetime if someone who's a, a physicist is able to work it out but um i suppose we've just got to keep trying really and capture the evidence and if we can capture something that absolutely cannot be explained as anything other than someone on the other side communicating or even seeing it then that would obviously go a long way to, to help it and we all want to be that person who captures that video of a an actual spirit or yeah you know you know it, it, it's very rare but we all want to be that person that does it i i hope in the uh future that they'll build a machine that you could uh like a telephone uh it would be cool to build a machine like a telephone where that you could uh dial up a deceased relative and have a conversation and Maybe they'll call it something like a spiracle. Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. It's already been done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm joking. But the fact is that it would be quite cool to have some sort of device that you could, uh, yeah, like like a long distance telephone. I mean, there are a lot of researchers at the moment are out there doing EVP and ITC that are kind of pushing towards that and kind of trying to create a device where that 
you can uh, you know have a two-way conversation with a deceased um personality i suppose uh, i i kind of you know the, the word the word ghost has been used so much now that when you say ghost you immediately think of someone floating around i think that uh yeah it's, it's more yeah. of a consciousness a personality that's uh maybe out there in the ether um you know hanging about or i don't know i'm, I'm not one yet maybe i will be one day who knows um so anyway uh rob yes i think we've come to the end um but i final final question i i'd like to know what's uh, in store for uh, uh dead air youtube uh in in 2022 um yes there's a lot's been recorded that hasn't gone up yet so uh i've done an investigation back at the castle keep that's where i properly saw my first what i think was a half apparition uh, many years ago so i'm going to go back and and revisit that site again and see if i can get capture it again see what happens um i've been um i've been over to estonia i've been to Tallinn, and i've stayed in a house that has got links supposedly to the devil uh found it on airbnb got very lucky with it stayed there so filmed some content in there so that's coming towards halloween time and uh, i've also been to uh, an abandoned prisoner of war camp as well that's still to come uh it's quite a few things still on the way it's all been recorded it's all ready to be put into edit and then it will arrive in the second half of 2022 sounds like you've been a very busy chap and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing those especially the airbnb one how, how did they advertise that it was like airbnb uh possibly haunted by the devil how, how well, they, they don't um i had to find it because the local ghost tours walk outside there all the time and they stop and there's a certain window that's it doesn't exist it's painted on they actually boarded up the window um because this building was supposedly so haunted and the local ghost group and even some of the commercial tours will stop outside and you see all the tourists will point up at this window so i, I spent a long time contacting the company that <clears throat> the company that um had all the, the apartments that own the, the this building and yeah. they i said i really want the haunted one can you put me in the haunted one and i don't know whether they just genuinely didn't know or the fact that they were told not to tell people um which one it is but eventually i worked it out by going through some old photographs of it and then looking at the photographs on their website oh, and then okay yeah out, well, the window's there and then the bed's there and that sort of position there so it's apartment number six so i worked it out the photographs and then i booked it and they had absolutely no idea that i was i was going there that so i booked it and just took all my equipment up and uh and spent a night there excellent well i'm definitely going to look out for that one so yeah, uh, thanks very much for coming on this episode, Rob. It's been uh, thank you for having uh, me. You're you're welcome. It's been uh, uh, much fun. I've uh, I've uh, wanted to talk to you for a while. Uh, all the links thank will you. be in. You're welcome. Uh, your all the links will be in the description of this podcast. So if you want to go and check out some of uh, Rob's uh, videos, which I highly recommend, then they will be in the links. And until next episode, see you soon.